This is In Goal Radio, the podcast presented by The Hockey Shop, source for sports, Surrey, thehockeyshop.com. This week, one of the first players to leave the market via free agency in 2020, Cam Talbot of the Minnesota Wild in that multi-year deal hooks up with In Goal Radio, the podcast, and chats with our own Kevin Woodley about the experience of not being able to travel around and meet with teams and just watching that clock turn noon Eastern time and waiting for the phone to ring. Plus, he goes to the goalie dungeon for a refresher and tells us what it's like going through the paces of preparing for a season that Quite frankly, we don't know when it's going to start. So Cam Talbot coming up in just a little bit. Plus, we head over to the Hockey Shop Source for Sports Surrey for a little check-in with Cam Matwit to talk about CCM Access and the goalie mask and uh, the new pods or pads or gel pads. Uh, uh, the full explanation is coming up, but it's technology advancement in the goalie mask and not just the shell, but the padding areas. We bring in the co-founder of Ingoal Magazine, Kevin Woodley. You want... You want to just help me out there a little bit about uh, the the pods? Fluid Inside is the name of the pods. And Fluid. basically, the idea is these these pods connect your head, almost forming like a, like a coupling between your head and the mask as the principal point of contact. And it allows for a little bit of lateral give, um, a little bit of absorption of rotational impact. And we get into that with Cam when we talk to him uh, and, and go over exactly how that works. But that's the concept. It's basically the theory, the science from the University of Ottawa behind developing these pods. And they've been used in all kinds of other sports. Um, but it's all about sort of cerebral spinal fluid, which is what our brain floats in. And the idea that we should put our head and have that mm. type of environment between our head and the mask to create some of those same properties. So um, big words, fancy That's a cool technology. explanation. Well, it, cool it is a great way of thinking it, uh, thinking about it. And that's the theory behind it. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those things where there are some, some numbers out there. If you check out the fluid inside website as well, that where they've had some success in terms of measuring, uh, the impact and the rotational impact and the force that's applied to the head versus absorbed by the mask uh, in bike helmets and, and in ski helmets and in other things. So it listen, for us at Ingle, it's a chance to geek out on new tech, which we always like. And, you know, frankly, as we were last week uh, with the Bauer 960 mask, we're always impressed when that technology is being used to find new materials it goes back to our first ever podcast episode, Sonia DiBiase with CCM going to the automotive shows to find new materials and foams and ideas. Well, the technology has increased. Love it when companies go out and find new, innovative ways to try and make us safer to protect our heads better. And so whether that's poron in a Bauer mask, D3O in a CCM mask, or now with the Axis mask, the addition of the fluid pods... It's all positive. It's all designed to make us safer. And it's all explained by Cam at the hockey shop this week. I, you mentioned the goalie dungeon. That is Pat DiPranio, uh, the longtime goaltending coach of Cam Talbot. The goalie dungeon is what they affectionately refer to uh, as the Granger Training Center in Hamilton. We go downstairs at the hockey shop but it's definitely not a dungeon for goalies. We used to call it goalie heaven. We've been corrected. We, we shouldn't use that term there. <laughs> Thanks to our listener who told us he actually, there's a store with that name that he loves. This is goalie utopia. And the reason we go down there 
is to have guys like Cam explaining to us things like fluid pods and how it works. The other reason you should go down there and check them out at the hockey shop, sales. I've been told. Oh, really? I've been told to keep an eye out. The next big one will obviously be Black Friday. So we've got a little time before we get to there. But in the meantime, uh, there's already protect or it's already markdowns on a lot of material. Uh, goal sticks, 30 to 50% off last year's model. Uh, a lot of Bauer 2S uh, that are or 2X, sorry, that are still available there. Leg pads, 30 to 50% off last year's models, catchers. Big one to me, CCM Premier Protective Markdowns. You know how fond I am of the scene, uh, the CCM Premier chest protector, um, which has been replaced by the Axis, but basically just upgraded. You can get last year's model for four fifty Canadian, used to be six fifty, so a little over a hundred dollars wow. off on that one. Uh, and remember, folks, that's Canadian. If you're a U.S. shopper, that the exchange is even better. Uh, and and discounts continue. One hundred twenty off the CCM Premier R one nine LE and into the junior sizes. Same with the pants. Big fan of the CCM Premier LE goalie pants. Regular three sixty nine on right now for two fifty nine. Make sure you check them out at the hockey shop. The hockey shop dot com. We have uh, the goalie carousel that has slowed down and people can get on and off without uh, any chance of da- endangering themselves uh, because uh, it's it's just it's almost uh, stopped, quite frankly. And uh, some players have been left out. A couple of teams maybe have been uh, left out or chose not to get involved. Uh, for for the players that, that don't have a team right now and with Gary Bettman, uh, the commissioner of the National Hockey League, aiming for a January 1st start date, and that's fluid as well. Uh, might we see more goaltenders be invited to camp on professional tryout offers, the PTO, uh, which we've seen a number of players, skaters in the past, take advantage of that. But uh, but goaltending right now may be a viable option or the only option. Well, I think most teams have their depth chart filled out one and two. The, the exception right now would be the Anaheim Ducks. Um, there seems to be, you know, um, they have um, they have options there, but I think the expectation was that a Ryan Miller would be back there, and we haven't seen that be made official. I'm kind of curious. Also, the Corey Schneider deal, even Lou Lamarillo indicated that that was a deal that was likely coming at $700,000, a, a real bargain there, and an important number three role because I don't know that you can snap your fingers um, and expect Ilya Sorokin, their prized Russian, to just step into the NHL. We saw it with Shesterkin last year. Half a year in the A, adjusted to a game that is very different in terms of how direct it is, how much smaller the rink is, how much more that traffic comes to you in the net, and how much less time you have. So to me, it's fascinating. What's going to happen to those number three guys? Because some teams took care of it right away. Some teams have plans in place that we mentioned Schneider with the Islanders as a likelihood. Um, But other teams haven't. And there's some of those names that are still out there on the unrestricted market haven't found roles, haven't found spots to play. And I think that's going to be fascinating. And and yeah, maybe PTOs are, are an option here, but there's so much uncertainty. Like it's a big ask to ask guys to A, wait for a PTO. And usually in a goalie situation, you're not, you know, you're not trying out for the one or two hole. You're there on a PTO to land a job in the organization as a number three. Well, we, like we don't, we have an idea when we hope the NHL season will start, but no indication when the American League season will start. Which right. brings us to, that brings us to another question, and one I frankly don't have an answer to, but I'm sort of poking around now with some of these guys who haven't been signed. Is 
we're looking at a condensed schedule. Everybody agrees on that. We've seen and heard general managers and goalies talk about the importance of having two guys who can start to get through this condensed schedule. Well, what was the other thing that everybody felt was really important, especially we're not talking about a one-month bubble where teams are dropping off in the first couple of weeks as they're eliminated. We're talking about an, you know, a, a season, 48, whatever, however many games it is, a season condensed. You are going to need three. And if there's no American Hockey League to call them up from, and it's not like the bubble we just had at the playoffs where teams brought three and four goaltenders into Toronto and into Edmonton because there was no salary cap, these teams are right up against the cap. They're probably going to need three goalies. There's no guarantees about, you know, we've heard about American League teams maybe even being relocated temporarily so they're on the right side of the border for Canadian teams. Like, where are they going to put these third goalies? They can't fit them on their roster for cap space. They absolutely are going to need them to keep the other two fresh in practice and maybe need them in games. Like, I'm trying to figure out not just who's going to start signing them and when, but where are they even keeping them as the season goes on to be able to use them? You may have to have a taxi squad that you, you if you're that replicates your American Hockey League team, and you have to send players up and down uh, via that and expose them to waivers and to and from where. That's the thing we don't even know about an American League season. You're certainly not, for example, here in Vancouver, you are not sending or you're you haven't got a taxi going between Utica and it's, we we make no. It might be in the same. I would think. If you would do a taxi squad scenario, that taxi squad is in the NHL city. But but if you if you're going to call up an injury or somebody for poor performance, they have to go through the same waiver process. So so basically create like a almost like a practice squad that's sitting there yeah. waiting, but but to call them up you have to go and you again have to go through. That that's the salary that, cap. It gets too messy if if you don't if you if you don't have that protocol in place that standard that we're used to because of the cap and, and the waivers. So you're saying we could have a de facto sort of American Hockey League taxi squad here in Vancouver that I could I just hire out for my beer league team? Uh, you, that would be outstanding. Like a Tuesday eh? night at oh, 9.30? All, all defensemen. All defensemen. Absolutely. <laughs> like I am, I am for sure like your defensive defenseman waiting on your chance in the NHL. I got a game for you. If you're an offensive hey, forward, no, no thanks. Uh, we're going to get into uh, the mask, the CCM Access mask, uh, in just a little bit. But uh, I got a chance to play last Friday, and we've played, I think, three Fridays in a row now. And I'm kind of in this headspace right now where I have the, the beautiful Access pads and gloves, but I've gone and I'm wearing a different mask. I have this goofy, uh, like some people collect cars, music, guitars, whatever. I, I, I got masks over the years, and I'm, I've been wearing a different mask every every time. You know, I've never worn a CCM mask. We're gonna have and, to rectify that to match your gear. Now we, well, need, it, we need. We, you're as part of the Ingle crew. There's a certain style requirement, Darren, that has to be met. It you just, can't be it, out there I, in an Arter's Arter survey like. Bird, bird, bird cage. It, no, it's not. It's not that. But I, I didn't, and I did bring it up to uh, to to get uh, a mask. But it's just like I thought. I've worn uh, Bauer. I've worn iTech. I've worn Sport Mask. I, I've worn some that I don't even know who made them. Uh, quite frankly, I have shells that uh, uh, along that line. But I've never worn that the, the CCM. 
I don't well, know. Why. It's a, it, it, well, in part because it's a relatively new mask, and the the shell construction that you see in this Axis mask is a continuation uh, of of the GFL mask that you know I think we're two or three generations into that, and and frankly, before that, the masks that CCM made weren't ones that were used at the pro level, and therefore the trickle down was minimal. There wasn't a lot of people using them since they developed this mask. Uh, I guarantee you the first comment you'll make when we get you in one, and we'll have to get you in one now, will be about the sight lines and the down sight lines. And um, that was one of the things that they established right away when they came out with this mask for the first time and that goalies noticed right away and that they adopted. You can ask Marc-Andre Fleury, who's in it there, uh, was just the sight lines and the ability to see down. Um, The multiple fit options that they have was a big one for them, and we talk about that with Cam. And now as they've added through the generations, I've got an old one on the wall with just the, you know, the plain old foam. Now, as they've added the smart foams, they've just gotten better and better. So I think part of the reason a lot of people haven't tried it is, frankly, it hasn't been a really attractive option up until the last oh, top ahead, I want to say five or six years. And now we're seeing guys adopt them and use them, not just at the NHL, but when we see that happen, we see people use them at lower levels as well. I'm really excited to hear your conversation with Cam about this new technology that they're putting in and the latest iteration. This is uh, In Goal Radio, the podcast presented by the Hockey Shop Source for Sports Surrey as we send you to Goalie Utopia. And it's Kevin Woodley in conversation with Cam, part one, the Matwip version. Welcome back to the Hockey Shop Source for Sports here in Surrey, British Columbia. And for those of you who aren't as lucky as we are that we can just pop into the shop and visit him in person, make sure you check them out at thehockeyshop.com. We're back in goalie utopia, um, which is pretty much the greatest place in the world for goaltenders with Cam Matwiv on the lower floor of the Hockey Shop Source for Sports. Uh, Three levels here. The basement floor. We actually shouldn't even call it the basement, should we? We just call it the lower level is 100% dedicated to goaltenders. It really is utopia if you stop pucks. You name it, they've got it. The latest and greatest uh, from all the major brands, as well as a lot of little items, little trinkets and tips and small things you can wear, whether it's strapping or um, sweatbands, custom little things that Cam has found over the years to help you uh, be more comfortable and be better at stopping pucks. Speaking of being more comfortable, Cam, we're going to stick with the helmet theme. Oh, I called it a helmet. I must be like Hutch. We're going to go to the mask theme. Um, Stick with the mask theme. We talked last week about Bauer, the new 960, and the new foams. This week, we're going to go to the CCM Axis mask. And the foams have improved, or they've used more of their D3O foam, which is their impact-absorbing foam. But they've added a whole nother level to the concept of modern science helping protect the goaltender's head. Tell me about fluid inside and the way that the CCM Axis mask has incorporated it. For sure, yeah. So we'll call it all new for the 2020 model year. Um, well, the, shell, the shell hasn't changed. Yes, yeah, still made their Sigma Tech's carbon fiber shell, uh, which has carried over from uh, the previous pro model mask. Um, but again, as you alluded to, the addition of the more D3O foam basically surrounding almost all points for the mask, um, but the fluid inside and IQ cushion as well. Um, those fluid inside pods, um, actually coming from another sport, 
um, football helmets in particular. Um, with uh, the study um, they've done in terms of impact reduction, concussions, and whatnot, um, basically is what they have found to uh, you know absorb some of the most shock and impact. So CCM, being the astute company that they are, take a look over the fence, see what's working. Why not apply it to what we've got? So here we have with fluid inside, basically. Yeah, and so basically it's a small little pod that attaches to the helmet, and the idea is that it provides additional impre- protection. In t- like when we take a direct hit there is also rotational force applied. And what these pods do is they sort of attach, attach to your head is not the right word, but they're the primary point of contact. You still want the mask to fit like it normally would, but these things sort of stick out a little bit and they become sort of that initial point of contact. And so even on a direct impact, there's going to be some shearing, some some side rotational impact, and the pods absorb that. If you've seen the video that we included in the review we did at ingoldmag.com, you can see how these pods will shift and move. And again, allow the mass to move around your head a little bit as part of direct impact absorption, but also if you get a glancing blow, somebody cutting through the crease, there's going to be some give there and some rotational give on the mass. Now, of course, the question that a lot of people asked before we had a chance to test it was, well, if the mask is going to move, is it going to feel loose? And that wasn't the case for, for a pro- as long as it was properly fitted. And obviously, we just had one to test, so we had to make sure we had people in the right size. But as long as you were in the proper size, it never felt loose on our tester's head. So you still had that traditional mask feel. Um, but if you took that glancing blow, if you took that shot off the side of the head, somebody cutting through the crease, there's going to be a little bit of give there before it starts taking your again rotational forces absorbed. And and I wanted to stress that rotational force, I originally thought, as a matter of fact, when I was writing the review, that it was all about rotational force and that that was only caused by the glancing blow, for example. But really, there's rotational force applied to our head, even when it's a slap shot, clapper right, you know, right off the middle bar, still provides some of that rotational force. And these pods are designed to reduce how much of that is transferred into our heads. In a way... It was designed by the some scientists at the University of Ottawa or through a, a comp like a, a partnership with the University of Ottawa to sort of mimic our own brain and cerebral spinal fluid and the way our brain floats in cerebral spinal fluid by creating a basically a pod that acted the same way on the outside. So our whole head becomes sort of what's floating inside this this fluid. And it's kind of a simplified way of looking at it. Um, but fascinated by the science. You know us at Ingle, we're all about development and tech and science, if you can find a way to make a product better rather than just slapping the same old thing out there, we're interested. And so the science we checked out on it, um, you can check out the website at Fluid Inside as well. Uh, There are some claims there in terms of some numbers that I don't know CCM as a hockey company is going to be allowed to make just because they're governed differently. But if you really look at the science in terms of some of the testing they've done on bike helmets and other impact tests using the fluid inside, because this technology is, like you said, football, it's starting to be uh, used by a lot of other companies that are in impact sports. Um, There are some numbers there that are quite compelling in terms of how much energy is transferred on impact with and without the fluid inside pod. So really cool thing. I I think uh, from our testing standpoint, you know, um, and I saw this at the NHL level because I saw early versions of this on Anders Nilsson two years ago, uh, on Aiden Hill two years ago, long before anybody had a hint it was coming. Um, and you'd see a little bit of red marks as they took it off after an hour and a half out there, you know, where that, that was the primary point to com- contact. But our testers felt, and I don't know if this is the feedback you've gotten, Cam, that 
Um, even if maybe you notice it at first, or if you think about it, you know, that, that that's, what's touching you. Uh, as soon as you start playing, like it's not, it's not annoying or prevalent enough that you're, that it's in your mind unless you actually think about it. It goes away. It's like it, almost like a hand kind of hovering just over your face. Like, you know, it's there, but it, it's not bothering you by any means. And, uh, it's so far, yeah, that does echo, um, similar feedback that, uh, we've gotten on the helmet. Um, comfortable kind of off the health, but also minimal enough. Like it doesn't feel overly in, invasive, like, like you mentioned. So, um, really positive, uh, feedback in that sense. So it's been some exciting, like I haven't, I haven't had a direct feedback as I got smacked in the face and here's like how it felt sort of thing. We're still kind of lacking that, uh, that review, I would say. So if you'd like me to, we could put one on right now and I will throw pucks at your head. I feel like that's hyper scientific, but almost not scientific enough for the feedback that I'm looking we're, for. We're, well, I mean, I, you know, the arm's not what it used to be. I'm probably still get it up there around 80 for you. I don't know if I'd actually hit you. I might hit you elsewhere. We'd have to put on full gear. Like I'm, I'm all about, you know, taking one for the team here, or actually I'm all about having you take one for the team. So you just let me know. <laughs> we'll set up that video. Maybe I'll see if I can borrow puck shooting cannon from Angelo over at magic goaltending. And we'll just start firing away at your head. It's this kind of feels to me like, this testing is when we had the bulletproof cups and the claim was that you could take a, you could take a 38 caliber off, off, off the cup. And for some reason I couldn't find anyone that was willing to test that one either. Yeah. I think you're on an Island there. Yeah. I'll, I'll pass on the being your first tester for that one. <laughs> okay. Well, let's get back to the mask because there are other improvements. I talked about the shell being the same shape. Um, that's a good thing. If you were one of the people that tried this CCM shell, the down vision is especially in the, if you've got a good fit and that was the other part, they, they've added a fit and they've already had a lot of good fitting options. Like they had a full range of fit options. We talked about it last week with Bauer expanding their fit options. Again, to me, more options means more likelihood of a good fit. And that's essential for, for masks. Um, the down vision in this is the one thing that jumped out to goalies as they were testing it, you know, way back guys that switched, um, into the CCM early, uh, adopted it quickly in the NHL. None of that changes with this shell shape, but they have added as much as just the fluid inside pods. They've added more of the D3O style protection in other areas. Correct. And you, and it's visibly noticeable on the helmet itself. You can actually see it when you're, you're, you're checking out all the pieces of foam. You can see the D3O lined underwear, the forehead. You can see it lined into the cheeks and all the way out throughout the crown of the helmet in particular. And the chin cup as well. They put it, again, we talk about impact absorbing. Um, you know, you, we've all had that shot that gets us flush on the chin and it feels like being punched in the mouth. Um, this is going to help with that. That's correct. Yes. Um, and then also two surrounding their helmet. Um, and they've used kind of extensively, um, kind of throughout the the crown of the head in particular, their IQ cushion foam. It's just a softer, a little bit more um squishier foam, for lack of a better term. And it's rich in finish. It's rich got, in finish. Again, it's got that. It's 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 um it's a sealed foam. Mm-hmm. So it's again, it's it's gonna water's gonna beat off it. It's not gonna absorb the water. And it just has a, it's just got a richer feel to it. For lack of a better term, it just has, it, it feels like a better quality foam. Um, and it's got that, it's got, I think the word you used last week was, was it supple? Soft and supple? Supple. Supple, yeah. Yeah, that's why we come to you, Cam. You're the expert. We come to Goalie Utopia for soft and supple. Um, but there is a richness to this material versus, say, a traditional just VN foam liner. That's correct. Yeah, and, and it kind of helps to make that helmet uh, pop off the wall a little bit more off pop not necessarily because you can't really see it until you pick the helmet up but once you do you will start to notice that this was part of the challenge for for ingle and our photographer extraordinaire david hutchison um the the most attractive sort of parts of this mask in terms of visually are the inside but never easy to photograph i thought he did a hell of a job with that 
kudos to him. Well, I got to, you know, fluff him up here a little bit because I was, I was giving him a hard time about calling it a helmet earlier. So fair enough. Okay, so uh, walk me through some of the other features and let's go through the rest of the line real quick. Yeah, so uh, pretty much for features-wise, we kind of covered pretty much most of it. Um, the IQ cushion foam is also in the back plate. That's correct, yeah. So you still do have that uh, softer feel as opposed to some of the helmets, which just use a standard VN foam when it comes to the black plate itself. And the back plate itself now in this model has the, the harness strap is screwed into the back plate, which used to be a feature that was actually only on their pro models. Yes, I mean, same... Same thing here as well. Um, it carries over from last year year as well, not to, to correct you, but they, they still already had that before. Well, I'm two generations behind. My mask is a little old. I'm sorry, Cam. I wasn't keeping up. This is why we come to you again, to correct my mistakes. <laughs> so yeah, I'd say that pretty much sums up our, our the brand new uh, CCM2020 Axis mask. However, uh, last question on Axis before you go oh, into the smaller lines. You mentioned that there was an additional fit option. So the fit option actually still was available in last year's helmet as well, but it's just nice to see that they have small all the way through to XL, whereas you know we see a lot of slash sizing or just small, medium, and large, for example. So this fourth additional fit, again, like you said, helping to dial in guys um, just that much more and a nice additional option because XLs it's, are a little harder to find, especially yeah, in home. So the XL is the fit that, That's I, and again, because you've now corrected me twice, we're going to require two two. and going to have to require an XL to get over top of your fast inflating noggin. <laughs> just to get you out of the room, we're going to have to put you in an XL and we are definitely going to do a uh, stress test, by the way. Forget me throwing pucks at you. Another couple lines out of you and we're going to be hitting you with a stick. Okay, now I'm going to allow you to go through the rest of it while I simmer down over here. <laughs> so when you when you drop down, you have their Axis A1.9 model being their senior model price point. Fiberglass mold still featuring D3O and IQ cushion. Okay, uh, so you, no fluid pods, but you still get the D3O, which correct. is a smart foam that, it, that absorbs impact and you're still, get, still getting that rich feeling IQ cushion. Exactly. So you're getting a lot of value out of what is your, your middle of the road price point helmet in particular. Um, and those are new, no, because they're, they're, I'm not sure if there was D3O in the 1.9 previous. I don't believe so. And they didn't have the IQ, IQ, IQ cushion, IQ cushion, however you want to say it. I can spell it, um, not say it. They didn't have that in the mid price point last time. That's correct. Yeah. So it is uh, I got one, right? Yeah, there you go. Hey, so there you go. <laughs> one for three. <laughs> Keep going. Uh, <laughs> he got me now. <laughs> uh, Kevin, Kevin, Kevin. After uh, the 1.9, we go to 1.5. Um, take it on a step down. We go into a polycarbonate mask in particular. Um, that will be more of your entry level helmet um, that covers us all the way down to, to youth in particular. Um, basically, you're still getting um, a good standard shock absorbing foam. Um, you don't get any of that D3O or the IQ cushion. It's a standard VN foam in particular. Um, you've got um, a couple uh, decal options too as well to kind of liven up the mask a little bit, um, especially in that junior price point. Um, but uh, that would be that'd be about it. That kind of rounds off our, our CCM lineup for this year. Nice, nice. I, I and, and like I said, uh, if you've got any more questions, if you've got questions about fit, if you've got questions about what you need or what your son or daughter needs for the level they're playing to make sure that you can find a mask that's going to be safe. I told this story last week. I'll reiterate it really quickly again this week. Last week, we were doing the Bauer mask and just a coincidence, young man came in before we could slip into the back room or as they call it, the vault where all this, the gear is stored 
to record the podcast. A young man came in with his parents and he was looking at maybe upgrading his mask. Cam had already gone through all the fits. Uh, the young man didn't make the team he was hoping, didn't step up to the level he was hoping. He was in the same level. Cam took a look at it, took a look at all the other fit options. And at the end of the day, what he had was still plenty safe, plenty safe, and still fit really well. As a matter of fact, maybe better than some of the other options he was looking at. So advised him quite openly and honestly, rather than just selling him something new and fancy and taking his money, advised him that he was good where he was for now and let's revisit it in a few months down the road. And I love that honesty. I love that approach. It's about what's finding what's best for you, not just making a sale at any cost. It's why we come to you, Cam. It's why other people should come to the Hockey Shop Source for Sports or check you out at thehockeyshop.com. Or if they have questions directly, Cam is a guy to make sure you find the mask that fits you best, the brand that's going to fit, and going to protect you and keep you safe. If they've got questions and they want to talk to you personally, Cam, where do they catch you? I can talk to me on the phone, 604-589-8299. He'll actually do a better radio voice than that when you call him directly. It'll be a little little more baritone and a little smoother. Um, but Cam, thank you very much for having us here. That's two masks in two weeks. We did Bauer last week. We did Axis this week. I'm looking forward to coming back next week to Goalie Utopia here at the Hockey Shop Source for Sports, hockeyshop.com. You can check them out and figuring out what we're going to talk about next. Can't wait. Sounds like a plan to me. Thanks, Kevin. I didn't think I would ever be that person, but because I was always just fascinated by the shell and the shape of the mask. And some masks I just loved. The way they looked on, on goaltenders and others, I was like, geez, that, that looks a little uh, different. And uh, I'm not sure it passes the mirror test. But now I'm right into the foams and the, the, these pods and, and just the, the more awareness that I have, and we all have, uh, Woody, uh, thanks to uh, people like you that can bring us this information, is extraordinary. The protection inside the shell. Yeah, it's um, you know, it was Ryan Miller actually. I think that, I want to say we were talking about this about two years ago. Still, he was with the Ducks actually. I remember him coming into town. We just started talking masks, and he talked about how you know, even in in his case, he had a he had a custom built mask, but he had added some of these. You can buy these advanced foams, and he'd had them add this impact absorbing foam into him, and and he felt it was kind of absurd that they were still. In, you know, up until the past couple of years, essentially being made and lined the same way they were 30 and 40 years ago, like that nothing had changed. And so I think shell construction has obviously gotten better. There's impact absorption there. We talked about, remember the smack wrap last week with Bauer uh, and how they integrated that into the shell itself. Uh, The blends of carbon, the different things, um, Kevlar in layers, things you can do to protect the shell. The next step had to be at a time when we have all these new foams out there used in things like motorcycles and 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 helmets in other sports and impact absorbing foams. It just makes sense to start adding some of these materials to the head and and it's nice to see companies invest the resources, whether it's through research and development on their own or partnerships with um, companies like Fluid Inside or D3O or in Bauer's case Poron to not just work with these new materials, but test them and do the research to make sure they work effectively. So uh, curious to hear more feedback. It's not a mask that has been out there a long time, this access with the fluid inside. I have a couple NHLers who were in it as much as two full seasons ago in early versions that I had talked to through the process that liked it. 
Um, but I'm, I'm curious to see where this goes. We had some questions on Instagram about the pods. Uh, would they rupture? Would there be breaks? We haven't heard any of that anecdotally. Um, we haven't seen any problems with it ourselves. But anytime you have a new technology, it's probably important that we don't just stand up here and scream from the rooftops how much we love it. We do like new ideas, but we're going to stay on top of it and test it and see how it works and see if there are any issues long term. But so far, um, both in terms of fit, feel and and in terms of how it, it stays intact in the mask, we haven't had any problems. Of course, you know the next step in this uh, goalie carousel and then mass technology and getting uh, new equipment is what the kit's going to look like and what the mask is going to look like. I chatted with Jake Allen, just exchanged messages uh, after he signed the contract. Uh, Thank you for putting me in touch with Jake. I really appreciate it. And he said the mask is finished. He just doesn't have it yet. So like uh, his his Habs mask, I cannot wait. To see that, and then uh, somebody like uh, like Cam Tablet with the Minnesota Wild, Brayden Holpe with the Vancouver Canucks. What we're going to see for for new mask designs? I'm excited, and, and actually, you've now made me regret the one question I, I should have I should have last questioned Cam Talbot one more time and <laughs> a- asked him if he was going to go Ghostbusters um, because I've heard him talk about it before. Like the theme was so obvious in New York, and the theme started in New York because he he's actually lived evidently when he was playing with the Rangers close to the fire station where that was filmed or where it was based. And it made all the sense in the world. And Dave Art had always wanted uh, to, to, to make a Ghostbusters mess. So that became something that was a theme for him. But it doesn't really apply as well in Edmonton and Calgary and Minnesota. So I'm curious which way he goes. Uh, they really do become a part of identity. Eh? And I think it's fascinating. We're, we're, we'll have to talk about this next week because I want to dig into it a little bit. You know, like some of the origins tying to Halloween and, and masks and scary designs and some of the yeah. some of the iconic early ones. I think of Corey Hirsch with the Psycho one. Um, you know, some of the ones that I know Dave Art, uh, Dave Gunnarsson has talked about. Um, some of those Halloween scary spooky theme masks as being some of the true iconic ones that that were part of you know him getting involved to the level he is now. I'm going to hold you to that uh, that conversation in next week's episode of In Goal Radio, the podcast. David Hutchison will be with us for that one, so we'll have a nice little roundtable on our favorites. There's some old ones from the uh, the f- form-fitting uh, right-to-the-face uh, mask, the original style, and now with the, uh, the cage combo. Uh, one area that I do have an, a theory on when it comes to Cam Talbot, I will save for after the conversation, but... Uh, I, I think there's a real fit here for my idea. Maybe I'll have to send it to Cam if uh, if you can put, if you like it. But uh, but I'll save it to see if it passes the Woodley and the listener test uh, after we listen to the conversation. Our feature interview this week on In Goal Radio, the podcast presented by the Hockey Shop, source for sports Surrey, thehockeyshop.com. Woodley in touch with Cam, part two, Talbot edition. Cam, so many questions um, that we wanted to get to with you going back to how the passion for goaltending started, but I wanted to to focus on the immediate right away. What's this last little bit been like? I think we we see the game of musical chairs for goalies every year, but this year was probably like none other. What was it like to live it? What's that process like in terms of waiting trying to evaluate options, knowing when, what options you can actually look at. Like what's that like to go through? Um, exciting, nerve wracking. You know, there's, just, there's so many things that go into it. 
um, so many decisions and you just kind of look around the league and say, okay, these are the spots that are potentially open. You just kind of go over it with your agent and, and hope that some of those teams call. So, I mean, uh, like I said, we were lucky that, uh, we were one of the first ones off the board, which was uh, a great feeling. There was no kind of waiting around. Um, but that it was just stressful leading up because you see all the, all the guys in play and how many guys had such great years and the competition was just going to be through the roof. So, um, you know, if you don't get a, a spot early, you might be left without a seat. So it was definitely nerve wracking, but exciting once we got a couple calls and, and ultimately landed on Minnesota and couldn't be happier. Was it easier? I mean, I know you went through it last year and then you kind of bet on yourself on a short-term deal in, in Calgary, but was it easier with the courting period as opposed to having to sort of wait out? I, I mean, I mean, obviously there's information flying around in cyberspace and stuff, but was it easier the year before when you could actually have conversations with teams and maybe take that, you know, noon deadline and, and, and sort of at least have an idea what's coming a little more? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Last year was just a lot less stressful. Um, you have that five, six days, whatever it was last year to, to, you know, legally talk to teams and stuff. But this year it was, you know, you wait until noon and, and you hope the phone rings. So, um, again, I was, I was very lucky. My agent called me, you know, half hour, 45 minutes in, there's a few offers already. And, um, you know, when one of them is Minnesota and you look at the way that they play their structure, um, their commitment to defense and stuff like that. You know, I've played against them for a long time now. So uh, it's definitely one of the places that uh, goalie would like to go to. So, you know, there wasn't much back and forth between us. It was just, it was an easy negotiation and, and uh, you know, it's just putting pen to paper after that. Well, okay. So funny you mentioned how a team plays. Cause I was curious, I've always been curious how much the teams themselves look at, Hey, this is our system. This is our personnel. Maybe these are the types of chances we give up the type of chances we give up more of, less of. Does this goalie fit our team from a system standpoint? Do you ever look at it as a free agent on the other end beyond, hey, Minnesota's a pretty attractive team because they play well defensively. I know the structure. Do you ever look at it? Like, is it possible to look at beyond that and say, hey, like they're a rush team. They're an end zone team. This is a, this is a style that fits me. Or is that just too much to consider at this point? You're just trying to, you're finding you're looking for generalizations as as opposed to specifics. Uh, when it's coming down to you know a quick decision when it comes to noon, I mean you're just kind of looking at that. Like we didn't even know that Minnesota was really going to be in play until they traded uh, Doobie. So uh, it's kind of one of those teams that you weren't really thinking about it at first, but then when they jump on the board, it's just like, well, you know, that'd be an ideal place to play just from playing against them and and kind of knowing that they don't give up a whole lot. So. Um, that obviously came into play here and, and, uh, you know, from my standpoint, playing in Minnesota, um, I think over my career there, I think I have some of the best numbers in my career at the Excel center. So, um, you know, is, uh, it's a great building to play in. The fans are great. Hopefully we can have them in the building at some point this year, if not definitely next. So, um, you know, Minnesota just seemed like an ideal spot for myself and, and we couldn't be happier. I was going to ask you about the building. I mean, I saw the career numbers. I didn't look at the splits home and away, but you know, career against the wild, I think it's like a 930 save percentage. When you talk about having success there, I remember here in Vancouver, like for whatever reason, the XL Energy Center was Roberto Luongo's personal house of horrors, and it became a storyline here. What is it? Is there anything about certain buildings that can fit a goaltender's eye? Can, can, is it just success leads to being comfortable there over time? Are there certain places where when you walk in, you just feel good? Yeah, I don't know. That's a tough question. 
I mean, there's, there's definitely buildings that I walk into and it's like, okay, I've, I've had success here before. I feel comfortable here. And, um, you know, I've had some of my better games here and you just walk in there feeling confident. So I think if you, if you start off well there and it just continues to build and there's a few buildings around the league for me and there's other buildings that, that kind of go the other way for me. So, um, the energy center was, was one of the places that I've, I've had some of my better games and I don't know the exact stats. I just, you know, think about them over time and I know, okay, you know, had a big game here last year, had a big game here the year before that. And, and it just kind of builds in your mind as a goaltender when you walk in there. So, um, knowing that, and obviously knowing that, uh, I was one of the first ones on their, on their list to call, I, I assume. And, you know, it's always, uh, just nice to, to be given that opportunity and given that call and, and, uh, you just want to go in there and, and reward the faith. So I'm looking forward to, to getting started and, and, you know, meeting the new group. And I'm guessing three years was probably a nice bonus too at a time when a lot of guys had to settle for two-year contracts and term was not something that got offered out. For you to be able to settle in with your family in one spot after having a hop around last year, um, how much does that mean to you? With the, Especially with, uh, I guess, their preschool age, your twins are now four or five? Yeah, they just turned four two days ago. On Monday, they turned four. So um, they're, they're in preschool right now. So yeah, security and, and being able to put down some roots was definitely big for us. Um, you know, two or three year deals were thrown around. Um, you know, we took a, a little less to get that third year, but ultimately we wanted uh, the security of, of the third year. And like you said, just to, to stop hopping around as much. I think we've moved four or five times in the past 16 months uh, with the trade from Edmonton to Philly and then back and then over to Calgary. So um, it's just going to be nice to, to put down some roots and, and be in one spot for a while. So that was definitely a, a huge selling point for us and, and one that we couldn't pass up. Okay, you mentioned the twins are are in preschool now, so you're you're getting back into the, to the rhythm of working out and on the. What's that like for you in this environment? Um, is it any different than a regular off season? And you had so much success in the bubble, coming off such a an odd time. I'm wondering if you can share what you did to prepare that allowed you to sort of hit the ground running um, with the Flames. And are there any lessons that you take away? if there are things you had to do a little bit differently, maybe because of everything that's going on in the world compared to a typical off season? Um, I mean, for me, I didn't really take any time off. There's so much uncertainty when we were going to start up again. So, I mean, I was downstairs in my basement. I've got a set of weights. I've got some bands and that kind of stuff. So when we were still in Calgary, um, I was doing workouts three, four times a week. The strength coaches actually um, brought bikes from the rink to any guys that were sticking around in Calgary during the, during the pause. So I was able to get some bike rides in and, and stay in shape. So for me, it was, um, you know, I never really took any time off. I wanted to make sure I was ready to hit the ground running when, and, and if there was a, a restart and then we moved back to Ontario in the beginning of May and I built a gym in my basement here. We just moved into a, our new place here. So, um, I built the gym got uh, everything set up here that I needed. And uh, other than that, it was kind of just normal training from there. I got on the ice with my goalie coach that I've had since I was 10 years old in Stony Creek and and uh, just, just kind of went to work and, and stayed ready for whenever that pause was over. So other than working out at home and not in a big group, that's really the, uh, the only thing that changed for me. So the biggest thing for me was I just didn't really take any time off. I didn't want to allow myself to, to get comfortable and, and then uns- certain situation and make sure I was ready. 
Is it hard now because we don't know when things start to know how to sort of scale up and ramp up? Or do you just have one speed once you're working out, you're working out, once you're training on the ice, you're training on the ice? Yeah, at this point, I, I haven't got training on the ice yet, but off ice, I've been, you know, there's one speed. I've been going five days a week now, bike rides, workout, um, just trying to build that strength. And I'll get back on the ice once there's a, a set date. And if not, I'll probably still get back on the ice once or twice a week in the next week or two just to you know get timing back and stuff like that my my conditioning should be there with all the rides and stuff like that i've done but um you know nothing really imitates being on the ice so just getting out there getting the feel for pucks again getting your timing back and starting to track some pucks so i'll start to do that within the next week or two and uh you know hopefully there's a a start date at some point soon and, and then you can really start to ramp things up but off ice uh things are are as ramped up as they can get and just waiting to get back on the ice. Okay. So when you get back on the ice, I got a two-parter here. One, I want to know about Pat DiPronio. You mentioned, I'm assuming that's who you're talking about when you talk about getting back with your goalie coach. Mm-hmm. And I read some of the excellent articles uh, in, in The Athletic over the past couple of years about your work. And I need to know what the dungeon, I, ne- I need a description of the mm-hmm. quote unquote dungeon and a little bit of your history there. And then maybe if you could like, you know, there's probably a good lesson here for kids because not everybody's been able to stay on the ice or, or be in the practice environment that they would normally be in. What do you focus on outside of team environment? What, what are your foundations when you're getting this ice time that you really drill down on to make sure when you get back into a team environment at the highest level of the world, you're ready to go? Yeah, well, the dungeon is, it's like a, probably a third of a full sheet of ice. There's not uh, a ton of room out there. Basically, all those shots you get are grade a high danger scoring chances um i usually get a couple of my guys that uh, come my buddies that they play pro over in europe that i've played with in the past and uh, they come out uh my goalie coach pat as you mentioned before um he'll drop the drills and basically the first little bit is just timing and tracking get my feet under me and then the last you know 30 40 minutes of the hour session it's um you know he basically tries to kill me if, uh, <laughs> he, if there's, th- if there's three shots to a drill and you don't stop all three, it doesn't count as a rep. So we call it, uh, once we get back to, uh, get my conditioning back and my timing back, we start to do tens and you have to do 10 perfect sets. And you might, sometimes you might do 12 sets and you have a really good set. Uh, sometimes he kills you and you have to do 25 before you get to 10 perfect because the shooters are so good and the situations aren't ideal in there. So, um, that's why we call it the dungeon. Cause you go in there and, and you know, it's time to work. Um, you come out and you don't always feel the best, but you, you definitely accomplish something. So, uh, you're always exhausted. You, you're gasping for air. You want some water, but, um, you know, when you're in there for that hour, uh, all that matters is, is the work that you put in. So whatever you put in there, you get out on the ice and that's what I've been able to do for the last little bit. So, you know, a lot of credit goes to Patty. He always knows how to, how to get the best out of me. And, uh, you know, he knows when to push and when to pull and, that's why we've had such a great relationship and, you know, obviously why I've stuck with him for 23 years. Now, correct me if I'm wrong here, but it would sound like the value there is in that compete. And like, like as you get tired, do you worry about technical details, you know, slipping with fatigue or does it make, is that part of the process here is making sure you can focus on those details as you tire because you're going to tire in a game or is it just all about the compete mentality? Like where's the, I'm guessing there's a lot of different takeaways from those sessions, but what to use the most important? Because I think I do see a lot of work in the off season where it's where it's so focus and detail driven. Um, I wonder sometimes if if 
that that competitive element can go missing at times for goalies. Yeah, I think that comes into play. Like for the first, if you're going through a long set and you know you're obviously tired and you're exhausted and you know um, at some point you know you're you're battling it out. You're trying to stay technical as technical as possible for as tired as you are. And then, you know, you get to set eight, nine, and 10. And sometimes those are just the ones where, you know, you have to battle. Sometimes the saves aren't as technically sound. Sometimes they're not pretty, but just getting whatever you can behind the puck sometimes is all that matters. So um, I think the, you know, as the set wears on, you see both elements come into play there. So um, the first four, five, six sets are usually pretty easy. Seven, eight, you know, your technical stuff is starting to go a little bit, but um, it's still there. And you're trying to fight through that, like that mental fatigue. And then the last couple sets is just that don't get everything you can behind it. But again, Patty doesn't make it easy on me. Even if you stop the puck, if you put a rebound out front of the net or something like that, or it doesn't go below a certain line that we have marked on the ice, we call them uh, like good rebound lines where you're putting it out that they're probably not going to touch. And then above that line, uh, whether you save it or not, you're doing the set over again. So he's a, uh, he's a pretty hard, uh, uh, hard on me sometimes and when you stop the puck and, and you want to throw your stick at him, he makes you do an extra set. So that's when he knows he's getting the best out of me. And, and if I'm having a good rep, he'll tell the guys just to miss the net just so I have to go do another one. Because if the shoot, shooters miss the net, you have to redo the set also. So he definitely, uh, he knows when to push, like I said, and, and he, he's really good at it. So um, again, all those things kind of come into play there and, and he knows when to push. I was going to ask, do you have to do you have to redraw those rebound lines now that you're wearing the Bowers that are designed to be the active rebounds or not? <laughs> no, that, uh, these are more for uh, keeping them below the dots kind of thing. Anything above gotcha. the dots, he kind of says, is you know uh, a rebound that could be in play. Uh, anything below the dots, the guy's pretty much got to already be there. And at that point, again, it's just you know desperation. Get whatever you can behind it if there is a guy there. So, um, but usually, if you're putting them below the dots, you're in pretty good position for a rebound. To, to recover and, and make the second stop. Not to dwell on Pat too much um, here, Cam, but because I want to ask you, you've you've worked with some great, I mean, obviously I, I have a relationship and know Dusty in Edmonton. Um, I know I am a massive fan of Siggy in Calgary, just not only as a goalie coach, but as a person. And I've had the the honor of getting to talk to Ben Waller over the years, like some really great goalie coaches you've had over the years. But, and I wanted to ask you about each of them, but it sounds like there's something special there with Pat. That importance, um, we tend to focus on the guys that you work with, that goalies all over the NHL work with once they're in the NHL. Can you, like, sounds like it's really important to have that guy for you in the summer that you can go back to and you have a, that type of relationship where, where there's an honesty there uh, and a work ethic he drives in you. How, I guess I'm asking you, can you quantify how important he's been over the years and and is it tough for guys sometimes when you bounce around from different voices if they don't have that one to anchor them in an off season? Yeah, I think that it could be tough. I mean, I I can't quantify it. Like you said, it's uh, what the relationship I have with Patty and what he's done for me over the years. Uh, you you can't put it into words. I mean, uh, he means so much to my career. He's one of the reasons I I am where I am. I have to give him a ton of credit. I mean, without him, I wouldn't be here. So. Um, but like you said, I've, I've been fortunate enough to, to work with so many great goalie coaches over the years. I, and I've gotten to know and, and, uh, you know, gotten to know them all so well, and they're all just such good people behind the scenes as well. So I've been extremely lucky to work with so many great guys and, and obviously extremely good coaches. So, 
Um, but like you said, when you have that one anchor back home uh, that I always come back to is your one constant. Uh, it definitely helps, especially when you've been bouncing around as much as I have for the past couple of years. So, um, and the, the other good thing about Patty is there's no ego there. Um, the first thing he always does when I uh, sign with a new team or get traded, he's the first one to contact the goalie coach of that team to make sure that if there's anything they want me to work on through the summer, that he's driving it home for them. So there's that continuity between the goalie coaches as well. So they can give him stuff to work on, but ultimately it's Patty that, that drills at home and, and gets the, gets me to work. So there's uh, you know, I can't say enough about him and, and what he's done for my career. Okay. So the dungeon doesn't sound like a place where you're going to fall in love with goaltending first time out. What made you fall in love with the position? When did Cam Talbot want to be a goalie? And was there a guy that drove that, whether it's in your own experiences or somebody on TV? Obviously, 33 has been the number for for the most of your career, at least at the beginning. I know you had to switch to 39 there, but is it a Patrick Waugh thing? Like, how, how did Cam Talbot fall in love with goaltending? Yeah, it was the Patrick Waugh thing. Uh, you know, okay. I grew up on a on a you know a quiet street in in Caledonia, I had some good friends just across the street from me, down the street, around the corner, and we'd all just get together, play road hockey like kids do, and and uh, you know I was always the first one to to jump in net and throw the pads on. So um, it started at a young age, probably four or five, when you're playing road hockey and stuff like that with your buddies. Um, I never actually started playing goal until I think I was you know maybe seven or eight years old when I finally started playing hockey. I was kind of late getting on the ice, but um, Patrick Waugh was always my favorite goalie growing up. Obviously you alluded to, to why I wear number 33 it was because of him. Uh, he always just seemed to, to have his big games when his team needed him the most. And, and that's all you can ask of a, of a goalie. And that's why he was, you know, in my opinion, the best of all time. And, and, uh, you know, whenever there's a save that needs to be made, the only cup finals or something like that, he always seemed to, to come up with that. So, um, you know, he was kind of my idol growing up and, and, you know, why I wanted to, to ultimately be a goalie and what drove me to it. Was there a point where it became, you went from that, you know, just somebody you watched on TV and maybe emulated playing road hockey to on the ice where you were trying to emulate him? Like walk me through that quick path from minor hockey to playing tier two junior in Hamilton. And then ultimately from there, um, you know, to, to playing NCAA at the uh, University of, uh, of Alabama Huntsville. Yeah, I mean, the only way you can really like, you can really emulate that is just try to bring your A game every day. And you know, when the when the game's on the line, you want to be that guy. And I've been on some some really good teams, you know, all through the ranks and stuff like that. And and uh, you know, just try to go out there. And and my biggest thing is just give us a chance to win every night. You know, the odd night you're going to steal a game, but most of the time your team just needs you to to be you know average, stop the shots you're supposed to make and and, uh, you know, let's maybe stop a few they're not supposed to here and there. But um, ultimately, you know, you go out there and you do your job night in and night out. And it's not always going to be perfect. But, um, you know, you just kind of got to get your body behind everything that you can and, and uh, evaluate after that. But, yeah, it was just kind of a, it was a roller coaster ride. I definitely took the, the long way to the NHL, as you said, through. Uh, I played AAA in Stony Creek up to uh, Junior C in Caledonia when I was 16 years old made the jump to junior A for three years after that. And then three years at Alabama Huntsville. So um, definitely was a, a long road and then three plus years in, in Hartford after I'd signed with New York Rangers. So, um, you know, not drafted along the way to, to major juniors in the NHL and just, you know, continue to, to work my way up and, and hopefully get seen. 
Was it just a constant progression for you, Cam? Steady and that work ethic and that mentality? Was there a switch that went off at any point from a style perspective where, wow, this this is something that became an anchor for me at this age and that's when the path started? Or is it, I guess, like everything in goaltending, it is a constant evolution, this position. Yeah, I think it's it's a constant evolution. Um, you know, through juniors, you just, you kind of relied on on skill and, and not so much on technique. You're just kind of going out there and playing playing tier two, but also managing, you know, going to college and stuff like that. It was, uh, you know, there's not a whole lot of practice time in tier two. It's not like the OHL or, or professional hockey. It's, uh, did you, did you have a goalie coach or just work with Pat at the time too, or, uh, Pat was actually the goalie coach of the Red Wings when I was there. So that actually worked out. There's the tie. Yeah. Yeah. So he was there, but, uh, you know, again, you only get two, two ice times a week for, for practice through juniors, which isn't a ton. Um, so it really, really took off. I think once I got to, to college, they really instilled that the off ice work ethic as well as the on ice work ethic. And I think that's where, uh, my career kind of started to form. Uh, I showed up as a freshman, you know, you don't do a ton of off ice workouts and stuff like that with the tier two junior A team. So, um, once I got to college and, and they implement that, um, you know, I think that's where, um, I grew the most. And from my freshman year to my junior year of college, you can definitely see the the numbers illustrate that. Once I started getting in better shape off the ice, it translates to on-ice success. So um, I think that was uh, a huge thing there. And then I continued that moving forward. So um, I think that was the biggest thing was just realizing how tough uh, how tough it is off the ice as, as it is on the ice. So I had to kind of put those two things together. Next is Benoit Lair, uh, with both obviously with, cause I know he's a guy that, you know, for the longest time didn't want to have a, a goalie coach in the American league. He wanted to, to be working with at both levels with all the guys, even if he couldn't be on the ice all the time. So you would have had a lot of exposure to him, but real quick first you paid for, for everything that Alabama Huntsville gave back, gave to you earlier in your career for in terms of opportunity. And like you said, the lessons about the importance of off ice, you got a chance to give back to them this summer. Can you just walk our, our readers through our listeners, sorry, through how you got involved and, and basically, you know, what, I don't know if you want to put this label on it, but everyone else uh, helped save the program down there. How important was that to you and, and, and walk us through that, that process and, and what made you want to get involved to, to help keep that going as a, as a school, as a hockey program? Well, I was, um, contacted, I, or I saw Friday night that the, um, it was Friday back in, I think June or July that the program had been canceled and they didn't give uh, any of the alumni, the players, anything a, a heads up. They just kind of cut the program, uh, used kind of COVID as, um, as one of the excuses to cut funding and stuff like that. So, um, but they didn't really give anybody a heads up. So two of the um, bigger alumni guys that have been down there, um, they went, uh, got a meeting with the president of Alabama Huntsville and he essentially gave us, uh, four and a half days to raise seven hundred fifty thousand dollars, and uh, those guys ended up putting uh, quite a bit of money in themselves. Um, ex teammates of mine, ex coaches, they got in touch with me and basically asked me to, you know, use my platform that ultimately they gave me. I wouldn't be where I am without uh, that program, so I just used my platform to get the word out there, get the GoFundMe page out there. Um, you know, I think I was on the phone four or five times a day doing interviews, doing podcasts, doing all this kind of stuff, trying to get the word out there and just how important Alabama Huntsville and, and hockey in the South means to, to the development of hockey in the South. So, um, you know, I just wanted to, 
like you said, kind of give back to what they were able to to provide me and, and ultimately give 24, 25 kids that that opportunity to, to live out their dream of playing college hockey and maybe one day get the maybe one day get the uh, the opportunity to play professional as well. So it was just kind of a no brainer to jump on board and, and do anything I could to help. And uh, by uh, by Friday morning, we were actually able to to come to, or to meet the goal of 750,000. And they announced before the weekend that the program was back up and running. So they took no time. So give a lot of credit to them. They stuck to their word and, and uh, you know, we got to thank all the donors and, and everyone that, uh, you know, helped contribute to that cause because it was, uh, it was a whirlwind, but we were able to do it. And hopefully at some point college hockey can get back playing this year and, and uh, we can see the, the product out there again. So we're looking forward to that. Yeah, congratulations to everyone involved and good on you for doing it. Because, I mean, not not just a really tight window to raise a lot of money, but at a time when there are a lot of, you know, people, it's tougher for people to give, right? Like you, everybody's going through COVID mm-hmm. and everything that's going on in the world. Um, just, I think, a credit to a lot of people that got involved there. So I wanted to make sure we, we got a chance to talk about that. Um, moving on to the Rangers, Benny. What, what I mean, can you state what impact he's had on your career uh, and and you know, without giving too much away, I know I hear, I've talked to a lot of them about, you know, um, answer question, beat the pass, solve the equation, that type of thing. What, if there's a takeaway that, that used is still a part of your game today, and there's probably more than just one, what would it be from your time working with Benoit there? Oh, Benny, he's just such a, he's such a calming presence. I mean, he just never seems to be in a bad mood. He's always so happy, go lucky. And it's just, you know, it doesn't matter what happened the night before he comes in the next day and he just has, the same attitude, the same presence about him. And he just calms you down no matter what. And, uh, you know, getting to work with him for, you know, the better part of five years with the organization, three in, in Hartford and then two up with the Rangers was just, um, you know, just an unbelievable experience. And I always say that I don't think I'd be in the NHL without him either. Um, he, he did so much for me. I think coming out of college, uh, I played more like, Jonathan Quick than I did Henrik Lundqvist and we kind of found that that happy median I was you know out to the hash marks and trying to be the acrobatic uh, athletic save back to the post and stuff like that and he just kind of reeled me back in and and like he does with all of his goals you just they look so calm in the net he just kind of he finds that sweet spot for you whether it's heels at the top of the paint toes at the top of the paint and just know that he just makes you feel comfortable that you can stop this shot from here but you're in that much better position to make that second save or third save or whatever it may be uh, to get back there. So, I mean, he just, I don't know, retooled me a little bit, brought me back in a little bit more, made me more efficient. Um, I wasn't so tired after games anymore. And and you can see that uh, like he's just, he's moved so many goals through there that have been um, backups to Hank. They always seem to to go other places and get other opportunities just because working with him, um, you know, your level of play just kind of ramps up and, and I owe so much to him on number one for, for signing me out of juniors and or out of college, sorry. And then number two for, for really developing me. And, and like you said, making that drive to Hartford all the time when he was with New York and going over video over the phone and stuff like that before I was able to come up. So, um, the amount of gratitude I have to, to Benny is, is through the roof and he's just such a, a great person, a great goalie coach. And, and like I said, I wouldn't be where I am today without him either. It's funny because his impact, you mentioned all the guys that have gone through, or I think it even goes beyond like it's extended 
there's sort of, you know, like the six degrees of Kevin Bacon, you know, you talked to Devin Dubnik about what he learned when he was in Arizona and it, you know, his foundation, much like you talked about positioning there was, Hey, if I can beat this pass on my feet, that's the depth I want. If I can't, then I'm probably too mm-hmm. aggressive. And that came from Sean Burke, who of course reinvented his game completely under Benoit Lair in Arizona. So I mm-hmm. positioning seems to be a foundation of it, Cam. And you, you had talked about changing where you played, but it's not just telling you where to play or having one rule for everyone. It's about letting guys f- figure out where they're at their best. Does that sound like a fair description? Mm-hmm. Like, Oh yeah, that's very fair. I mean, you can tell that every goalie that comes through there, you know, they're not going to play the exact same way. Like Lundqvist can play so deep in his net, his reads are so, so great. He's so quick. And other guys, you know, we have to take another step out or something like that. And like you said, Benny just, he gives you that wiggle room to play with. Um, he lets you find where your sweet spot is. If you think you can play that far out and still make that and still get to the next play on your feet, all the power to you, as long as you feel comfortable enough to do that. It's when you're, you know, once habits like that start creeping in, maybe you get a little bit too high and you can't make it on your feet. Then he just kind of pulls you back and says, okay, can we make that play from six inches, nine inches, a little bit deeper? And then can you get there on your feet? It's just little tweaks and adjustments here, but ultimately he gives you that, that rope to, to go with. And, and, you know, he's never going to tell you, you have to be here. You have to be there. He lets you define your own positioning, and as long as you can get there on your feet and you feel comfortable to make that save, then that's all that matters. So that's again one of the best um, one of the best qualities about him is he's not you know like a slave driver. He's going to give you um, you know he's going to give you options that you can play with, and and uh, he just kind of gives you the tools and gives you the video and and stuff like that to kind of see and and help any way he can. So uh, again, it's just one of those calming presence that. Um, you know, you want to you want to be around every day, and it just makes you better. You mentioned Hank. What's your takeaways from working with him? We could probably do a whole segment on this alone. And yet, <laughs> I think probably my guess would be much like Patrick. How you talked about Patrick wasn't so much trying to play like him as a, as adapt the personality and the work ethic. Nobody plays like Hank. I'm not sure. Any, I think you once told me I'm not sure anybody ever will play like Hank. What were the lessons? Were they more about the mindset, the mentality, how he got ready? Uh, and and the one thing I will say, work ethic. I remember here co- him coming in here even last year, Cam. It was on the second end of back-to-backs, heavily optional skate, only seven forwards out. Expected Georgiev to be out there for sure, and he was. But there's Henrik out there, first on, last off, doing breakaway drills, and absolutely battling on every puck. And I was blown away by that work ethic at that stage, like just a year or two ago of his career. I'm guessing that rubs off. It does. And... Yeah, there's no one that competes harder in practice than than Hank. And that's one of the biggest things I took away from him. Um, not just the preparation, not just the the mentality of it heading into a game, not just his preparation. It was the work ethic that really stood out to me. Um, you know, you always see him in the gym off the ice, but on the ice, like you said, he's always one of the first guys out. I mean, Benny, the goal, Benny takes the goalies out, you know, two, three, four times a week and we just you skate for 15, 20 minutes before anyone else gets on the ice. And it's just doing little crease drills and we'll get a shooter out and stuff like that. But, you know, Hank's feet are just so quick and it's because he puts in that work, whether he played the night before, he's still out there with whoever his partner is um, putting in the work the next day, trying to get faster, trying to get quicker, trying to get those reads down. And like you said, even at the end of practice, he's more than likely one of the last guys off the ice because he wants to make sure that 
he's battling it out to the very end. And, you know, if, if a drill doesn't go his way at the end, he's going to make sure he does it until it does. So it doesn't matter how tired he gets, he puts in that work. And, and obviously that, that translates into games. You never see Hank give up on a play. And, and that's why he's been so great for so long as he has that mentality that, um, you know, he almost hates to get scored on as much in practice as he does in a game. That's kind of his mentality. And again, what, what makes him so great. From there, it's on to the Oilers. And I mean, everyone, I think, you know, points to the big season just because it's so rare to see a goalie play as much as you did that year, finished fourth in Vesna voting. Um, what was the lessons you took away from playing that much? I remember Schwartzy telling me he wasn't worried about you because of all those lessons you learned, as you said, at, at Alabama Huntsville, like he physically just wasn't a problem. You were, you were, you took care of yourself in a way that you, it wasn't going to be a worry. Um, but sometimes when you're playing so much, you have to manage your rest and it can be hard to manage your game because you, you, it's hard to get out early and do the extra work or stay out late. If you're always preparing to play the next night, cause there are no breaks. What'd you learn about yourself in that process? What were some of the takeaways in terms of managing your game and managing your rest uh, during that season? Uh, the biggest thing is, you know, you, you learn that you can, um, you know, you can tweak little things here and there just during in practice and through video. And it doesn't always have to be done, you know, with a thousand repetitions on the ice. Schwartz and I would, you know, come up with a plan and stuff like that. If I played the night before, whether, um, you know, it was just him and I got out there maybe 10 minutes before. And if there was something that we needed to, to look at or address, then we would go over it before practice and, and try to just get out there for 10 minutes and play around with some different positionings and stuff like that. It was never meant to be taxing, but it's, you know, a way to, um, you know, uh, work on some stuff without overexerting yourself, I guess. So, um, the other thing for me is, you know, managing that rest was a big part with, with Todd McClellan. Um, he was always so good about coming in and, um, he'd always see me in Schwartz's office the next day after a game and we'd be going over video and Todd would pop his head in and be like, Todd, did you good to practice kind of thing? And, uh, you know, once it got later on in the season and, you know, you're up around 60, 65 games, you know, there's a little bit more leeway and he would always come in and make sure that I was okay because he wanted me to go back in the net the, the day after that. So um, there's always that constant communication with the coaching staff and the great relationship I had with Schwartz. Yeah, I knew that I could be honest with them about my fatigue level or, you know, sometimes it's just a, a mental thing when you're playing that much. Um, like you said, you always have to be, you always have to be on, you always have to be mentally engaged. And sometimes, um, you know, when you get a night off and you're on the bench, you're not, um, constantly focused on the game and it's almost just like a, a mental rest if you will when you're playing that much so when you're not getting that sometimes you have to get that on your off days so um, the, the communication between the coaching staff and and myself uh, was always there there's always a two-way communication line and and I think that was part of the biggest thing too but you know managing off-ice stuff and and on ice stuff was never really a problem because Todd and, and the staff was so great and and uh, you know it just kind of leaned on whatever I was feeling and, and we go from there. So, um, you know, that was you know one of the highlights of, of my career being able to play 73 games and, and get the Oilers back in the playoffs. And, you know, that was uh, a heck of a run and, you know, something I'll look back on fondly. I was going to say a bad, a bad non goalie interference call away from, we, but we won't go there. That's uh, the goalie union is, still has a protest active on that one, to be honest with you. We've, we've filed that one and that will never go away. Um, the, uh, the, 
I watched you guys do a game day warm up once, Cam. And as you moved things around the ice, and it was you and Schwartzy working, it all seemed to be cradles. And I was just curious if you could speak to me about the importance of using cradles as part of a warm up when you're trying to get ready for a game. I think we see kids go out there a lot, and goalies go out there young ages a lot, and. Sometimes it's just because the kid's shooting on them and they're not on the same page, but sometimes there's that feeling like you got to go, you got to tickle the twine bar down. Everything's got to be a real challenge. Like when you're trying to get ready for a game, do you still see value in cradles? Like, is that still something you use as part of your game day warm up, or has that changed since leaving Edmonton? Uh, no, I mean, that's something that you you always just want to go out there and feel the puck and it helps when you have a goalie coach that can rip the puck like Schwartz, he can. Um, you know, we don't want, we don't want to feed that. We don't want to feed that ego too much on those shots. He keeps telling me how good they are. I know. Hopefully he's not going to listen to this, but I'm sure if he does, he's going to be pretty excited to hear that his shot's one of the best. But, um, (laughs) you know, when you got a guy like him, you can get out there 10, 15 minutes early before a game day skate. And, uh, like you said, you you have to be on the same page. He hit me in the head quite a few times throughout the year, but, um, (laughs) give him a pass on some of those ones. But, um, sometimes that's just, you know, feeling the puck, feeling good on a game day. Like you said, you don't have to tickle a twine. Sometimes it's just, you know, watching the puck into, you know, your your glove side shoulder or something like that. It's not always just catching the puck. Sometimes you have to take them up high and, and try not to give off that rebound. So when you can, you know, work on little things like that in practice and, and game day mornings just to kind of feel good about your game heading into the night and knowing that, you know, anything up in this range from this angle, you know, I just kind of have to put my body behind it and it's just going to kind of fall into me. So um, whenever you can feel the puck like that, feel good going into a game, feel good from those angles and the spots that he was taking the shots from, um, you know, it, it'll, it always translates. So we always tried to do, I think five from each spot on the ice that we had picked out and, you know, ultimately you're getting 50, 55 cradles a, a morning before you go out there and, and you go into pregame skating the game, feeling pretty good about yourself. So um, it doesn't have to be a big glove save to warm up with. Sometimes it's just nice to, to work on your tracking and just watch it into your body. So those were, uh, you know, obviously helps in uh in getting prepared for games yeah and i mean obviously i've seen him speak about this at hockey canada with young kids too in terms of using cradles because the mechanics of if we're in position it's coming at us right and sort of encouraging sort of some of those mechanics so i was curious if that was something you'd you'd continued on with um i better say last one because uh, i can't believe how long we've been talking my apologies cam but uh the move to siggy and calgary and again, another guy that we know really well and are big fans of uh, here here at Ingle and gotten to be had the pleasure of being on the ice with him over the years. And um, what what's that transition like? You're you're changing goalie coaches. You've got this strong voice and support system in Pat. Uh, you've worked with Schwartz. You've worked with you know a guy I think should be in the Hall of Fame uh, one day soon in in mm-hmm. Benoit Lair along with his brother. And now another goalie coach in in, in Jordan Sigalette. And now. You know, Freddie Shabbat, another guy, we, I, again, another guy I've had the pleasure of being on the ice with and really enjoyed the time with. As you change through all these voices, tell me first about what, what made Siggy special as a coach. Was there anything that you guys zeroed in on that might have been a little bit different? And how do you have to approach that? Or is it all just different voices, different tools, open mind to everyone? Because that is a lot of different voices in a short period of time. It is. And, you know, when when I first signed with Calgary, um, came back to Ontario to to work with Pat and stuff like that. And I remember um, first you get the call from Siggy welcoming you to the team and stuff like that, looking forward to working with you and everything. And then, you know, a few weeks later, I get back to Ontario and uh, it just kind of speaks to, to Siggy's character and his commitment. He was in Ohio visiting his wife's family and he 
called me, asked me when I was going to be on the ice that summer. Um, I said, you know, I'll be on the ice Wednesday and Friday this week. And he goes, okay, I'm going to drive up from, from Columbia or from Ohio, wherever he was. And, uh, so we made the five hour drive up and we skate from oh. three to four in the dungeon with Patty. He just wanted to come in. Um, you know, first of all, meet me in person over the summer, see where I train, see how I train, meet my goalie coach. Um, took us to dinner afterwards kind of thing. And then ended up driving five hours back that night. So that's just, you know, his commitment level. He wanted to, to come up, meet me in person before I actually got to camp and stuff like that. And just see where I train and to meet my goalie coach that I'm working with here. So, wow. I mean, that's, uh, you know, I think you might've been here for three hours and drove for 10, 11 hours in one day. So, I mean, that just kind of speaks to his character, his commitment to his goalies and, uh, you know, developing that relationship early on. So, from there on, it just kind of our relationship built, our trusting each other built. And, you know, he's one of those guys that he he invests himself so much in the game that he's just as mad after games as, as you are if it doesn't go your way. Or he shares in the celebrations as much as you do. And, and he was almost like uh, like a big brother that way, kind of like Schwartz he was. And, you know, I had such a, a good bond with both of them. And um, But it all kind of started when, when Siggy drove up like that. And I could tell that. He's just so committed to his goalies and anything you need from him to make you successful, whether it be video, whether it be drills on the ice. Um, if there's anything that I ever needed um, on the ice, he would just alter the drills and stuff like that beforehand. And, you know, we just go from there. But, you know, we, we had that trust in each other and from day one. And, you know, it just it blossomed into, you know, a great relationship and, and ultimately uh, a great friendship, too. I think we'll, we'll definitely be staying in touch, even though I'm not in Calgary anymore. So. Um, it's one of those relationships and bonds that, uh, you know, we'll have for a while. I guess that's important. Building that trust and building that relationship, as I said, with so many different voices at the end of the day, we can talk about technique and philosophies and all that, but it all comes down to trusting that guy to have that voice in your game and trusting that relationship that there's an openness back and forth about what works and what doesn't. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And if you don't have that, you know, sometimes that relationship can be, um, almost detrimental. So I've been extremely lucky, like you said, with Pat starting at home and then working with Benny, working with Schwartzy, even uh, Kim Delabaugh in uh, in Philly for the short time right. I was there. We had a great relationship and then moving on to Siggy. So I've I've been very, very lucky to to be able to work with some great goalie coaches and, and better people. So, um, you know, nothing but great things to say about all of them, obviously. So they've all been uh, a big part of my career in, in so many different ways. Well, Cam, we're looking forward to watching you continue that career with the Minnesota Wild. Thank you so much for spending so much uh, time with us here today. I know the audience here at Ingle Radio, the podcast, is going to love this. And uh, there are definitely a few takeaways from this conversation that we'll be breaking out into separate stories and, and looking forward to sharing that with them as well. Thanks so much for the time. Best of, best of luck the rest of the summer. I appreciate it. Thank you. just a cool guy to talk to. That's what I like about Cam. Like he's just, just laid back and, and shares. He's, he's always been like that from the time that we first got to know him a little bit with the New York Rangers. But I was familiar with him when he played for University of Alabama Huntsville. And my pal, uh, Doug McLean, the former coach and general manager and president of the Columbus Blue Jackets, his son Clark was a teammate of Cal, uh, Cam's at University of Alabama, Huntsville. So there, it goes way back uh, to that. And and Herb Brooks from the movie, remember? Right. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Th their son, 
uh, was the the backup to Camp Talbot. Um, who's the actor? Kurt Help Russell. Here. Kurt yeah, Russell. Kurt, Kurt yes. Russell. I know they had a goalie son because I think yeah. at one point he yeah. played Ju- like Cam uh, Junior B, I believe, here in Vancouver at one point because you would yeah. see him, uh, him and, and Goldie Hawn around around the rink. So yeah, that's that's that. I there it is. The small world. Um, and and Doug would come home from uh, watching Clark play for a weekend, and he'd say, "I I hung out with Herb Brooks all the time." And I'm like, um, "That's I don't think you, that's that's right." He's like, "No, no, I meant uh, Kurt Russell and uh, the the Miracle on Ice, and and because uh, Goldie and and Kurt would be uh, watching watching their son play at Alabama Huntsville." I want to say top of my head without being able to Google it here, Wyatt um, was that was yes, the name of their son yes. who was a goaltender. Yeah, see, so well yeah. done. Um, so here's my theory uh, okay, I for. For Cam Talbot, uh, and this goes to where, where he signed and where uh, his family is right now and what they're uh, growing with. He has twins. Yep. And you talk about that, and he's in the Twin Cities. So there's got to be something with the, the kids and the Twin Cities and the twins and all that kind of stuff. So there's a, there's a theme there that, uh, that you can work with. Okay, there's definitely a theme you can work with. My hunch is he's going to probably treat that about as well as he did my question about how deeply he looked into the systems and the <laughs> styles matching. When the calls start pouring in at noon, you're just looking for you're looking for yeah. a fit and and you're probably not thinking about it as deeply as I suggested or as you suggested with the Twins and the Twin Cities, but I will say I agree with you on the conversation. Sadly, that's the longest one I've had a chance to have with him. Um, probably the the longest conversation I have with him to this point was when he was with the Rangers. Because once you get to Calgary and Edmonton, as a reporter in Vancouver, those teams fly in night before right. for road games, and then you've only got the morning skates. And so we actually had a really good chat this year, one of the times when he came in, and we have an article, you know, shameless plug for ingoalmag.com and the premium membership uh, with Jordan Sigalette. Uh, and Cam Talbot doing a drill and, and Jordan sort of walking us through the keys to this drill uh, for Ingold Premium. So that's one of our pro drill tips. Um, I had a great chat with him about you know gear and equipment um, that day because he wasn't playing, but especially that year in Edmonton, he's playing so much that anytime he came through town, your only opportunity to talk to him was post game after after they played and that's hardly the time for you're not having 45 minute conversations about you yeah. know Pat DiPronio and and Granger goaltending in the dungeon post game after an Oilers uh Oilers Canucks tilt but so yeah in some ways uh, kind of nice to see him leave Alberta just because it means we'll have a chance to catch up on, on a more detailed basis and um as as much as I enjoyed that conversation I'm really looking forward to being able to have more of them now I liked your question. I I don't know how much actually goes into it from the player's perspective when you're talking about dollars and especially trying to get your name off the market uh, because there's such a uh, large amount of goaltenders available. But he was offered the the two or the three year deal too, and and that was that was unique uh, with with his scenario. Yeah, and 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 one of the few guys to get more than two, and and obviously, yeah. like there's where uh, you know they see the fit with the young kids and wanting to find that stability uh, in a city totally. with an organization, and, and as he said, I mean, very understandable. Um, and you know, I mean, it was basically what was it him and Markstrom? I, I guess if you you know RFA in Matt Murray getting getting term in Ottawa, but out in the UFA crowd, like it was all mostly two year deals, some one year deals. Yeah. Um, not a lot of not a lot of guys got more than that. Markstrom goes into Calgary, obviously, on the six. 
Cam on the three, and I think most of them were you know shorter term. And so good for him, well deserved. Um, he has basically only had one bad season in the National Hockey League. One sort of when you call it bad, just one down season. Has been an exceptional goaltender. Had a nine nineteen by the end of things there in Calgary last season, and I think is going to be a really good fit. Like he may not have crunched the numbers before signing, but we did. Um, with some clear sight analytics and looked at his strengths and how they fit that team and that system and and what they give up. And as much as he joked about them being a great defensive team and any goalie would like to go there, there are some specifics that fit well. So good for him, and I'm sure it's going to be a great fit, and, and you're excited for him. And he went there as the backup and just knew that he had to be ready when the time came. And, in, and he in was. Calgary, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and now he parlays it into a three-year deal. How many, How much did we talk about during that pause and break uh, to guys who were trying to manage when to start working out, when to hit it hard, when to not to um, worry about burnout? And when we asked him how he managed that, what did he, what did he say? He just he just worked out the whole time, never stopped. Yeah. And there's something to be said for work ethic and determination. As much as we assume all pros have it, you know, he had a great example of the the next level of work ethic and determination in Henrik Lundqvist. And you get that sense that he, when you talk to him and you hear from his goalie coaches, that he's got the exact same thing. And when you hear stories about how he approached the pause, when you hear him talk about Alabama Huntsville and and learning how to work out physically and how that was a big change for him, you talk to his goalie coaches like that. When he played 73, they weren't really worried about him because like he was a physical specimen. Like he really takes care of himself. And that's, that's so important this day and age. I, I, I long for the day where I don't have to write stories about goalies turning their careers around because they started by losing 20 pounds in the summer. It amazes me that I still have to write them every year or two. Yeah. Um, but there's an example of a guy who figured that out in college, not and not not waiting until he turned pro to figure it out. It's a true art to be good, whether you're playing 73 or 26. And, and he's done. He's he's done both. Uh, before we wrap up uh, with with Cam Talbot, uh, uh, just the the idea of a player trying with his new technology, and I, I'm new to it with the access pads, but how the puck just pops off the pad, and your conversation about the rebounds, and and I I was with you with the question mark uh, question about where you're putting those those rebounds and and shooting them way out and I thought that was going to be the good part but like keeping the rebounds below the dots but sending them way out I thought that was that was a neat little uh, bit of uh, inside the uh, inside the realm of goalie coaching yeah no and and, and some great specifics there right because it yeah you know, it doesn't matter if it's hot or not it might help you a little bit if it's hot but if you're sending it back into the middle that's that's still a bad rebound you got to make sure you're steering it to the outside and off to the wings yeah um whether it comes off hot or cold so yeah, I was thinking about it as and, and had to ask the question because as he started talking about it, that was what came to my mind because we'd had that discussion on the active Bauer rebounds and just a great answer to show that that yeah, like active rebounds can still be bad rebounds too if you don't put them in the right spot. So um, those are the types of insights we love to bring to you here at the exactly. Angle Radio Podcast. And uh, thanks for Cam for you know really taking a lot of time out of his day after a stressful couple of weeks here to you know, to answer the questions at that level and to give us insights into the position that, you know, I think I'd like to say you don't get anywhere else and and we don't get them unless they're willing to spend the kind of time and, and give us that type of deep thought that Cam did today. So really appreciated it. Couple of uh, incredible conversations. Uh, one uh, with a person dealing with a pandemic uh, over at the hockey shop, Source for Sports Surrey, thehockeyshop.com. 
with Matt Twiff, and then another player and a human being discussing life and free agency, betting on yourself and coming through with a three-year contract on the other side with Talvit. Proof that if you believe, you can do it. Thanks for listening to In Gold Radio, the podcast. I'm Darren Millard for Kevin Woodley and David Hutchison. Have a great week. We'll talk to you next week when we discuss our favorite goalie masks around Halloween. <laughs>